0: It's time for Silver and Black Today, Game Day. We're breaking down the Raiders' upcoming game and bring you in-depth analysis from National Football Insiders. Let's get the nation fired up. Here are your hosts, Scott Gobranson and Mo Moten. Good Sunday morning, Raider Nation. Welcome back to Silver and Black. Today, game day, Scott Colbranson, Mo Moten with you. We are in therapy session, and we got some fire going, Mo. Don't we? On a Sunday morning, Raiders getting ready to play the Bengals. It's a big game. It's got a playoff
1: feel to it. You know I don't like to use the term must win right until late in the season, but I feel like this is as close to a must win as you can get for the Raiders. Raiders and Bengals both come to this game, losing back-to-back games, both teams looking to get off the schneid and, and look toward the playoffs. So it's going to be a huge, huge game. At Stadium.
0: That's right. You've heard your first off the schneid comment of the Sunday morning <laughs> here on the fan in Las Vegas, or if you're listening to us on 1140, the bet. Thank you for being with us. And yeah, Mo, a two in a row for the Raiders. Of course, this one hurt, right, man? This one really hurt. If you're a Raider Nation, hardcore fan, like most of them are the Kansas City Chiefs come into Las Vegas, they completely shellac embarrass the Raiders out of their own building. It was just awful. The Raiders now... Three years in a row have had winning records through nine games, uh, yet they've yet to finish above 500, which makes everybody nervous, which makes everybody say to themselves, and I've seen you say it online too, Mo, oh, no, oh, no, it's November, it's December. Are we going to see the same tailspin? And, Mo, I want to start like we did on our Friday night show with the offense here. The Raiders put up 30 points in back-to-back games before the bye. That was week eight. Now they've scored 16 and 14, okay? And then people say, what's the difference? And everybody wants to give an excuse. Everybody wants to say, oh, Henry <laughs> Ruggs is gone. Henry Ruggs, that's why. That's why we can't help. We can't win. Mo, you say poppycock on that one, don't you?
1: Yeah, that makes my blood boil because I watched the Raiders rack up 403 yards against the Giants. They just couldn't finish in the in the end zone. Now, if they had finished in the end zone, they would have scored well over 20-something points. But the, the issue is not the offense can't move the ball without Henry Ruggs. It's just that, one, their star player, Darren Waller, has gone missing, hasn't been over 60 yards since week two. That's number one. Their two. Their rushing offense. Week two. This is why <laughs> Henry Ruggs is on the field. So you can't say, oh, Henry Ruggs is not there to open up the field for Darren Waller because he was on the field week three, four, and five. And Darrell was still pretty much underwhelming, so don't give me that excuse. The other thing is, the rushing attack is non-existent again. Uh, of course, the Raiders had to play from behind, so you really can't run the ball too much. you kind going to have to move the ball down the field in chunks, but the rushing attack has to get on track. If the Raiders is going to fix their offense, because you want balance and you don't want to be too predictable. Because if guys know what you're going to what you're going to do, pass or run, it makes it a lot easier on the back end. So they need some complimentary football, pass and run. I'm not I'm not worried about the defense at all. The offense has to fix some things, though.
0: Yeah, and Mo, I, this is an excuse-free zone, right? We're not we're not allowing excuses. So if you're listening there. And you're getting ready for today's game at Allegiant Stadium as the Bengals roll into town. As Mo said, they've lost two in a row, too. So whoever loses this game is in serious trouble. But nonetheless, um, if you're sitting there and you're getting ready for the game, you're down at Allegiant, you're in lot J or lot B, wherever you may be. And you're feeling sorry for yourself and you're making excuses. Well, the reason Ruggs can't get the ball is because of the offensive line. Well, Mo, the offensive line, pre-snap penalties, huge problem, okay? Offensive line playing great, no, they aren't. But you know what? Derek Carr still has the time. He gets the ball out. He's just not getting it to Darren Waller. Mo, when you look at this, what do you think it is with Darren Waller? Do you have any idea or any kind of hypothesis for why number 83 is just not in the game like he used to be?
1: Well, I think, one, teams are scheming against him. Now, that's not an excuse. He's probably, you know, he's getting double coverage. He's getting coverage over the top. But at the end of the day, your star player still has to perform and and make plays because I'm sure last year teams were scheming against him and he he broke Tim Brown's record. So, (laughs) I mean, you got to get your star players involved. And to me, that's partially on Carr and that's also on Greg Olson as the offensive coordinator. You have to scheme your best player open. Someone on Twitter mentioned this to me and it's so true. We all knew Travis Kelsey was going to get the ball last week at a certain point. Yes, they had Tyree Kill there to take some pressure off of him, but at some point you knew Tyree Kill was just uh, Travis Kelsey was just gonna keep tearing the Raiders' defense apart. They still got him the ball. You know what they did? They used him as a fullback, leaked him out of the backfield, threw the ball to him on those short throws. They got creative with him. And I think the Raiders have to do the same with Darren Waller, maybe not use him as a fullback. Now, Alec Engle is out for the season, so maybe you do explore that. But you have to do dif- different things to get him open and get him downfield and get him the ball.
0: You do. And and I think, too, that you know we talked about it this week as well, which is um, Derek Carr has culpability here. I'm not blaming it on Derek Carr because anybody who knows both of us knows we're objective about Derek Carr. I don't, I don't hate on him and I don't trumpet him like some media outlets do, whereas every other thing is about Derek Carr and how great he is. That's not what I'm here to do. What I'm here to do is say Derek Carr is a very good quarterback, uh, but he's struggling too, because to your point, not only are they having trouble with the running game, which is clearly some offensive line issues, but the Raiders move the ball. They just can't move it consistently. So they they averaged almost six yards against the, the Chiefs per play, but they couldn't sustain drives. They were one of nine on third down. That is absolutely brutal. And like you said, Derek Carr didn't have a bad game. He didn't have a great game. I mean, the game before that, he had a bad game. Just, everybody does. It's okay. It's cool. Whatever. Right. But this offense and the quarterback, They're they're synonymous. Like in the NFL, your quarterback has to play at a high level if you're going to win. It's just period. So he's not to blame for all of it. Don't get me wrong. Don't take me out of context. But clearly, Derek Carr is at a juncture as well. He's really got to get back to where he was at the beginning of the year uh, where he's able to put up points and consistently drive this team downfield. And oh, by the way, figure out the red zone.
1: Right, and that's that's been his problem, I think, throughout his career, or at least recently. He's He's been having issues in the red zone. This is why I've always suggested bring Marcus Mariota and then run that zone read inside there. Maybe you get some more points. But to your point about Derek Carr, right? Do you remember the beginning of the season when the Raiders started off 3-0 and and Derek Carr was getting all the praises, oh, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. And the Raiders, was the Raiders, was the Raiders' offense perfect then? The offensive line had struggled more then, I think, than now, just as much. No,
0: and they couldn't score and in the as, first as half. Said, he had to come back every game. Right. Yeah.
1: Right. So Derek Carr is is capable. And, and the reason I guess I'm hard on Derek Carr is because, one, a lot of people on Twitter tell me he's a top five, top ten quarterback. Well, if he is, he can get the job done despite not having Henry Ruggs. As I said on a previous show, I watched the Packers beat the undefeated Arizona Cardinals with Kyler Murray without having Devontae Adams. I'm watching the Tennessee Titans win football games without Derek Henry. I watched the Cleveland Browns run over the Denver Broncos with a third string running back. You have to find ways to win games. Mm-hmm. You have to find ways to adjust on the fly. That's just how it works. With Derek Carr, we watched him do it with a not-so-perfect offense early in the season. Why can't he do it now when the Raiders need him yeah. to perform at a high level in a critical stretch of the season?
0: Well, yeah, and and, and by the way, the Ra- it's, it's not like the Raiders had just Henry Ruggs and Darren Waller. They have Hunter Renfro, they have Foster Moreau, they have Kenyon Drake, who's been a great contributor this season coming out of the backfield and catching passes and also running the ball. So you you have these players that are already there, and you have Brian Edwards, which you wrote a piece, Mo, about Brian Edwards, and I agree with you on this one. He just needs to be more consistent. He's got all the tools you need.
1: Yeah. He, he's a big play threat, just like, I, I wouldn't say he's Henry Rugg. he does has have Henry Ruggs' speed, right. but... He's averaging like 20.7 yards per catch. (laughs) He just has to be involved in the offense from quarters one to three. If he is involved throughout the whole game, he could be a big weapon because the Raiders had high hopes for him coming out of South Carolina. The Raiders had a first round grade for him. Other teams had a first round grade on him. It's just that he had some injuries that dropped him to the third round, but they felt like he was going to be a starter in year two, and he is. And I think he could be a more consistent threat if Derek Carr and him get on the same page. Derek Carr has talked about his trust and Brian Edwards, compared him to Devontae Adams. Again, I'm not saying he has to be Devontae Adams, but I think he could be more consistent and be a bigger factor in the passing attack.
0: Well, the offensive line, we talked about, obviously, Alex Leatherwood, Brandon Parker on the right side with brutal, just brutal, and just timing-wise penalties against the Chiefs. Uh, of course, Leatherwood's had the false starts uh, issue all season long when they moved him from um, tackle to guard. He obviously is doing better, but continues to struggle. I mean, even if the Raiders were to, to sneak into the playoffs, that offensive line, I mean, people ask already, they're starting to ask, you know, what is the priority for the offseason. And I, and I, it's hard for me to answer that. Cause I would say offensive line, but depending what happens with this franchise, Mo, you have offensive line. You might have possibility of having to address quarterback. If you decide you don't want to pay Derek Carr, cause Derek Carr is going to get paid. So he's either going to do it with the Raiders or retire or go somewhere else. Um, and then you have all these other issues. Now you need another receiver. Now you need linebacking help. Now you need defensive help still. Um, when you look at that offensive line, uh, it, I think we see what they are. I don't think we're going to see a lot of improvement. I don't think we're going to see a lot of regression.
1: I don't think we're going to see a lot of regression. Brandon Parker just isn't it. They If, if Alex Leatherwood is going to stay at right guard, they have to draft another tackle. Mm-hmm. That that should be a top priority because if you're a top priority, if you're going to keep Carr as given him great protection, then you have the bolster of the offensive line. I'm sure they're probably going to stick with, depending on who's the GM, if Mayock is still the GM, they're going to stick with John Simpson at guard. Of course, Richie Incognito is not coming back. I hope people get rid of that that wet dream that he's going <laughs> to come back and save the Raiders <laughs> and and most of the rushing attack is not going to happen. He's he had a Rich Pasachar. He had a setback initially. He was only he was due back after Trayvon Mullen, who was supposed to come back December fifth, and they say uh, Incognito had a setback. So I don't think he's coming back. I wrote an article that's saying he should basically just retire. But to yeah. your point. They have to do something about that offensive line, specifically at right tackle or right guard. If they plan on moving Leatherwood back to right tackle, then they have to address the right guard position because Denzel Good coming coming back off of, off of a torn ACL, I'm not buying into that too much.
0: No, exactly. Scott Branson and Mo Moten here with you on Silver and Black today game day on the fan in Las Vegas and also 1140 The Bet. Uh, Mo's with us here on the first segment on Sundays because he has to go cover all the rest of the NFL, including the Raiders, uh, for the rest of the day. But, Mo, let's talk about the defense in the few minutes we have left with you today, and that is Gus Bradley, this plan he had with the Chiefs. It, as you said just a moment ago, it's not, it wasn't it. It just didn't work. Uh, the scheme was not well. The talent wasn't good. Uh, um, one, Mr. Jonathan Abram, a young man that we've given a lot of credit over the last few weeks about getting better, targeted nine times versus the Chiefs, nine catches for 127 yards and two touchdowns. How concerned should we be about Jonathan Abram?
1: He, he's not getting the fifth-year option. Yeah. I, and, I, and I'll say this right out straight because in this league, when you have offenses that are going to spread you out, try to pick you apart with uh, 11 personnel, three wide receiver sets, you're going to need to play too high a lot. And John Abram in space and too high, not a good plan. And it's just, he's a box safety. You, you mm-hmm. got to staple him to the line of scrimmage, and he's just not good beyond 8, nine, eight nine, 10 yards beyond the line of scrimmage. So in this league, you have to have – Both your safeties have to have some coverage ability. And and Jonathan Abram just hasn't made enough improvements in that area. And he becomes a liability when you ask him to cover downfield or you ask him to play zone or he mans up with a running back who mossed him for a touchdown. Think about that. I believe their third-string <laughs> running back lost yes. him for a touchdown. I, it's just it was embarrassing, and it, it shows why you need to have coverage safeties all over the field, and the box safety is just a thing of the past now.
0: Well, and it goes back the discussion that we won't rehash because we we want to stay positive. We, we just haven't had a couple weeks of been able to do it. Um, <laughs> is that draft class again is going to get worse? That 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 two thousand <clears throat> excuse me, the two thousand and nineteen draft class, Jonathan Abram, uh, Josh Jacobs, and I brought I broached the subject. Last year. I don't, I really don't think either one of them will get a fifth year option uh, unless something drastic happens and they both perform at a different level than they are now. Uh, but you're right. I mean, uh, the defense, you know, the Raiders' defense is better. And for the Raider fans out there, of course, being better. Was was something they were excited about, but they've fallen off a little bit as the offense has struggled, which makes sense. You have to play complementary football, and they have not been able to. So the defense has faltered. We see Max Crosby has struggled a little more because he's he's brought it to, with all the attention and all the at the accolades at excuse me, all the accolades that everybody wants for the Raiders as a fan from national media. Well, Max Crosby got it, but now he's getting doubled. Now he's also um, just not getting home right now. I think it'll come for him. I like the guy. I think he's one of the budding stars in the league, but it, it, they're just not him and, and Ngakwe have, have been a great little pair, Mo, but it's just fallen off as the offense hasn't been able to perform.
1: Yeah, I'm just going to go to glass, have full perspective here. I'm not worried about the defense. They yeah. had, Obviously, they had their worst performance against the Chiefs, but I think they'll get it back on track. I think Crosby and Yannick Ngakwe and that interior defensive line will continue to be the of that of that unit, but – You've mentioned this person in previous shows, and this is my concern. Corey Littleton, yeah. right? When the Raiders signed Corey Littleton, he was supposed to be the guy who was going to cover the middle of the field and be able to match up against tight ends. Where was he against Travis Kelsey? Yeah. Now, I understand that the PF grade is going to come out and say he played well and he didn't allow a lot of yards out there to catch. Well, if Travis Kelsey's is going off against the Raiders What is Corey Littleton there for? Because that was his best attribute with the Rams (laughs) the fact that he could cover the middle of the field. And if Travis Kelsey's going wild, where is Corey Littleton? (laughs) You know, so the the other thing I want to point out is Trayvon Mellon, uh, I believe Rich Basacha said Trayvon Mellon is going to come, could come back December 5th, which is against the Washington football team. They need him because we praised Brandon Faison in the previous show. He got picked on against the Chiefs. They need Trayvon Mullen back right away, ASAP.
0: Well, and and I think what you saw there, and I know know Raider fans aren't going to want to hear this, okay? But what you saw, too, was frankly a coaching staff. First of all, a complete permanent coaching staff. Okay, so I give the Raiders a little bit of a pass. I'm not blaming their coaches for not doing the job they weren't hired to do because— Look, that that coaching stat, everything about that game plan against the Raiders was better than what the Raiders had planned. I mean, it just it's simple to see it. You could see it and it, it snowballed very, very quickly. And so I think that, you know, anybody everybody well if Rich Pesace makes the the, um, the playoffs, then he's the, he's going to be the coach. I, I don't know. I don't listen. Everybody's got to earn their job and not just getting in the playoffs. Isn't earning your job. And, and by the way, don't talk about the playoffs, win some games and then start thinking about the playoffs. Okay. Don't start getting in the playoffs. So we get into the, the, uh, the old uh, quote from Jim Mora, right. About playoffs. So playoffs. yeah, playoffs. <laughs> right. So, playoffs. so that's the thing. And, and again, I want to end this segment Mo with you to talk about, look, not all is lost. Okay, we're you're basically at the midpoint of the season now with the 17 week season. The Raiders have the talent on offense with Derek Carr, with Darren Waller, with Hunter Renfro and others to turn it around. The defense has played well. They had a bad game. It's going to happen. I agree with you. I think they'll get back on track. Uh, They can turn it around and make the run that everyone thought they would to nine win season or a 10 win season if they get really lucky. Uh, And so I don't think people should give up yet, Mo.
1: No, I think now people are gonna roll their eyes when they hear me say this, but <laughs> this 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 is a different team, but this different team needs to produce different results. Correct. And I think there there's a separation there. People say, Oh, same old Raiders. No, it's actually a different team. The defense is better, despite what the numbers say, I know they're giving up a lot of points because their red zone defense stinks. But as I mentioned during the show, they have a pass rush now. They have a boundary corner in Casey Hayward who's who's been pretty much locked down most of the season. I think if Nicholas Murrow can come back eventually at linebacker, he will help. I I mentioned Trayvon Mullen on the other side of Casey Hayward. If he comes back eventually, he would help on the defensive side. They have pieces on that defense to win games even when the offense doesn't play at its best. But obviously – the team goes as Carr goes. And a lot of people at the beginning of the season told me, tweeting at me, Carr's a top five quarterback. Carr's a top 10 quarterback. Well, he's, he has his opportunity to show it down a critical stretch in this season.
0: He does. And that's that's when you do it. And you know what? He's... I know, listen, everybody, you can say guys aren't motivated by money. Everybody's motivated by doing well and earning what they believe they're worth. And so Derek Carr has a golden opportunity, as he's had all year, to prove that he is one of those guys that should be the highest paid quarterback like he once was. Again, in the NFL, if he wants to be the Raider for life that he says he does, and I believe him at his word of that, then you got to go out and help this team win. Okay, you make the playoffs, you don't make the playoffs because of things that are outside your control. Fine. But it's time to take your team on your shoulders like he did off the field and do it on the field as well. And I think he can do it. So we'll have to see. How that all pans out. Mo again, I know you got to leave us and get to your coverage for the day here on this Sunday, but uh, we will talk to you next week. And of course, you can also hear Mo and me on Friday nights on the Mightier 1090 in Southern California on Silver and Black tonight. But buddy, enjoy the day. And hopefully, uh, you know, the next time we talk will be the day after Thanksgiving. So we'll have to talk about two games (laughs) the next time we're on a Sunday.
1: I might have some leftover ham and turkey, so bear with me, Raider Nation, if I'm munching in your ear next time I'm on the air with you guys.
0: That's right. Are you having the rainbow cake again?
1: Oh, definitely having the rainbow cake and the red velvet cake, having both.
0: Oh, man. mo has got it. You got to put a picture of that up, buddy, for the listeners so they understand what the rainbow cake is, because it looks fantastic.
1: Definitely. definitely. I got to share that one.
0: All right, Mo. Have a good day, buddy. We'll talk to you next week.
1: All right. Appreciate it.
0: All right. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we are going to talk Cincinnati Bengals with Anthony Cassanzi. Excuse me. All right. When we come back, we're going to talk Cincinnati Bengals with Anthony Consenza of Cincy Jungle. He's going to talk to us about how these teams are similar, how they're different, and why a win for the Bengals would be just as big as it would be if the Raiders can sneak one again at home. You're listening to Silver and Black Today Game Day only here on the fan in 11.40 The bet in Las Vegas. Silver and Black Today Game Day is on. All right, happy Sunday. Welcome back to Silver and Black today, game day. Only here on The Fan in Las Vegas, or you're catching us on 1140 The Bet, our sister station. We are going to switch gears now and talk about the Bengals. That's right, the Cincinnati Bengals coming into Las Vegas later this afternoon down in Allegiant Stadium. And these two teams, a little bit similar in some ways, and we'll talk about that. And to do that, we bring in our friend Anthony Cosenza. He is the host of the Orange and Black Insider podcast. You can also catch his written work up on the Cincy Jungle website. Anthony, thanks for being with us to talk a little bit about the Bengals and the Raiders today.
2: Absolutely. Thanks for having me on, Scott.
0: Uh, No problem. All right. So let's jump into this. The Bengals and the Raiders, you don't look at these teams and say, hey, they're very similar, but they're at similar points in the season, I think, because both coming in have lost two games. The Bengals are coming off the bye. The Raiders coming off the big loss in embarrassing fashion to the Chiefs on Sunday Night Football in front of the national audience. But the Bengals team, like the Raiders, early on in the season, getting a lot of national love, getting a lot of excitement from the fan base because of their fast starts. What What's happened with the Bengals over the last two losses uh, and and where are they at right now as they come into Las Vegas to face the Raiders?
2: Well, well, first of all, it's actually very odd that some of the parallels between these two teams run really deep, really in their last two games. You look at what these two teams have done in their in their last two games they both went to New York on the road were favorites lost those games right mm-hmm. and then the week after they come home host a divisional rival should be a close game hard fought game they both get blown out at home so That's been the last two games for both of these teams. So not only do the records match and all that kind of stuff, but there, there's a lot of different parallels going on here in terms of what's kind of been happening with the Bengals over the past couple of games. Obviously you mentioned they had the bye week which couldn't have come at a better time based on what happened in these past two games, man. I mean, it's just kind of been a, a little bit of a comedy of errors. The defense that was getting after the quarterback pretty consistently in those first seven games was really inconsistent They were having tackling issues on defense, which was not a problem throughout the beginning of the year at all. And a few more interceptions by Joe Burrow on Mm -hmm. offense. That's kind of been a little bit of a talking point. Uh, There's been a little bit of a clampdown on Jamar Chase these past two games. And while uh, Burrow's been trying to find some other receivers and they've got some talented ones on this team, there's been some drop issues from others, including Chase as well in these past two games. So just really the things that were... So, so many things that they were relying upon in in that first kind of stretch of games kind of was was falling apart for them these past two games, and uh, so yeah, I mean it's it's been a little bit of a, a backslide for this team. The bye couldn't have come at a better time for them, so they're looking to regroup for sure.
0: Yeah, and and it's funny, yeah, you're right about the parallels between the Browns game and the Chiefs game for the Raiders because that was it. I mean, of course, since I'm here in Cincinnati uh, and and neighbors, of course, bleeding uh, orange and black... And everyone was so excited about that Browns game, just like the Raider fans were excited about the Chiefs game because they really felt like, okay, this is how we're going to get over this hump and really start to be the playoff team we think we can be, uh, only to, to to just come out there and not play their best. Now, when you talked about Joe Burrow and, of course, the interception issue, I think it leads the league in interceptions at this point. But if you look at Joe Burrow, is it a case where he maybe needs to back off a little bit or do you think it's still better for him? I mean, he's one of the better young quarterbacks in the NFL. There's no question about it. But does he need to stay aggressive or does he maybe need to back off of that a little bit so that he doesn't turn the ball as mo- over as much? As there,
2: There is a fine, fine line to walk there. And really, if you look at it, obviously you say, well, he's thrown almost twice as many interceptions already mm-hmm. at this point this year than he had as a rookie last year. Is that a sign of regression? Well, not really, because one of the areas that he has really cleaned up is securing the football when getting sacked, getting hit. Last year, at this point in time, he had four lost fumbles and, and nine fumbles overall. This year, he has uh, four with zero lost. So, uh, excuse me, two with zero lost, two two fumbles with zero loss. So, th- he's really cleaned up that aspect of turnovers, which is, which is a positive and a sign of growth. I really think, though, and I, I've said this a bunch of times, Joe Burrow is one of the most confident football players you mm-hmm. will ever see. And I think that he thinks and rightfully so because he does it most of the time, that he can make any throw. He can fit throws into windows, and I know he doesn't have necessarily the cannon arm that a lot of other quarterbacks in the league have right now, but what he has is timing, accuracy, and great wide receivers who can make contested catches. So I think he thinks that he can make any throw, and for the most part, he has done that. And sometimes you you have some of these interceptions, and a lot of other times you have these outstanding plays like what you've seen with Jamar chase. And I do think also he feels with the rapport that he has with Jamar chase, he probably feels like he can have a little bit more of a gunslinger mentality this year because of the comfort level. And the fact that he knows that chase will make a lot of plays for him and he knows where to put the ball for him. So, yeah, I mean, it points to there's there, the interceptions have to be cut back for sure, but uh, he's also thrown a lot more touchdown passes this year Mm -hmm and despite coming back from the injury he looks a lot more comfortable in his second year as a pro
0: yeah i like the young quarterbacks being aggressive and so and especially like you said with the talent that he has so I wouldn't be one. I like you said, as a fine line. I wouldn't be one to want to wanna pull him back, but certainly um, he's he's on there. He's not in Jameis Winston categories when it comes no. to no. interceptions. So uh, let's let's make sure we do that. But but when you look at Joe Burrow too, uh, and you mentioned Jamar Chase, you know Jamar Chase. I know in Cincinnati it was never a controversial pick, but outside Cincinnati, people were like, oh, you should have went with Penny Sewell. You need that offensive line for Joe Burrow. Um, boy, do the the Bengals look incredibly smart for going ahead and picking jamar chase talk about what he's meant for his young partner in his quarterback in joe burrow and for the entire Bengals team just the amount of talent he said he wanted to break records when he got to cincinnati and boy is he on target to do that
2: yeah he's already almost at a thousand yards uh, i think he's at eight thirty something right now so i mean he if, if there's a big game this week He could you know already get to a thousand yards as a rookie midway through the season essentially so yeah i mean there were there were parallels with his performances early in the season where he's being named among the likes of randy moss marvin harrison in terms Mm -hmm. of stretches of games and uh, yards already as a rookie and you know he has been everything and more than advertised and i know A lot of folks said Penny Sewell, Penny Sewell, Penny Sewell. I, living on the West Coast, I was a big, big Penny Sewell fan. Mm -hmm. And uh, actually, truth be told, I kind of leaned that way a tiny bit, but I kind of felt that the Bengals were actually in an excellent position at number five because they were going to get an excellent football player either way uh, if they drafted Sewell or Chase. So it just turns out that Chase hit the ground running a a little quicker than a lot of folks realized, and that rapport – was not overblown. These two have been on the same page, and Chase has quite a few highlight plays. There still have been some of the drops, concentration plays, etc., that plagued him a little bit in the preseason. But, man, I mean, even as as early as game one when he had that big bomb touchdown right before halftime against the Vikings, that Sewell chatter really quieted <laughs> down. And, uh, you know, the Bengals, the Bengals seem to look a, a lot more wise than... A lot of people gave him credit for. And just to tack on that, Riley Reef, the veteran tackle that they signed in free agency on kind of a rental deal, he hasn't been necessarily outstanding, but he's been solid and he's been a steady presence, much, much improved over what they had at that spot over the past couple of years in Bobby Hart. So I think they felt that, hey, you know, this year we can get the dynamic playmaker at wide receiver in the draft, get by for at least this year with the veteran right tackle and maybe look ahead in the coming years for, you know, another bookend tackle to match with Jonah Williams, who's playing left.
0: Anthony Cosenza, the host of the Orange and Black Insider, as well as a contributor at Cincy Jungle, is our guest. We're talking Bengals. And you talk about uh, that team and the offense. Um, Of course, head coach Zach Taylor comes out of the Sean McVay Uh, He was an assistant coach with the the Los Angeles Rams. And one of the keys of that offense, even in San Francisco, when you look at Kyle Shanahan is the fact that, well, offense, the running game is so key to that. Uh, Joe Mixon having just another great season and, and really a cog in that machine that makes it go. Not only can he run the ball, but he can catch the ball. Talk about Joe Mixon and how much different this offense works when he's working and going really well.
2: It's, it's, always great for an offense to have balance. And I preach that myself throughout this offseason. you know, you can, you can talk about the talents of Joe Mixon and he is a highly talented back. There's no doubt about it, but if you back up and look at some of the off season acquisitions, so to speak, both in free agency and really a coaching change, that's where you're going to see the, the thumbprint of maybe the McVay uh, blueprint and, mm-hmm. and obviously Zach Taylor. And what I mean by that is the Bengals, made a switch up at their offensive line coach uh, and they brought in Frank Pollock. And one of the things he wasn't just designated as an offensive line coach, part of his job title is run game coordinator. So they realized that they really needed to have some semblance of balance. They really needed to get Joe Mixon back on track and really help out this offense. And Frank Pollock has, Really done wonders with not a lot of household names on this offensive line. One of the guys they brought in at left guard, Quentin Spain, mm-hmm. is playing really, really well. Uh, he's on a, a one-year deal as well. He has been very solid. Um, there are still some consistency issues, and I think if you look at a drive-to-drive basis by the Bengals' offense, you'll see explosive plays. You'll see the once-in-a-while methodical nice drives, uh, but you'll see a lot of three-and-outs too. So I, I think they, they really want to get a little more consistent, but – easily this run game is vastly improved than what we've seen over the past you know two three seasons and frank pollock's a big part of that quentin spain's a big part of that and of course joe mixon and his talents are a part of that too
0: No doubt about it. Let's switch sides now. Go to the defense. Defense has struggled a little bit here, I know, in this losing streak, uh, especially with the pass rush. uh, But um, Trey Hendrickson having a great year. I think he's got five sacks in his last five games, something like that. It's first or second in the NFL as far as streaks for sacks in consecutive games go. Uh, And then, of course, Logan Wilson, I think, is having another good season and really turned out to be quite the player. What's, What's going on with the Bengals' defense? What kind of fits might they give the Raiders who are struggling on offense now?
2: Well, I, there are, it just kind of comes down to protection because yes, Trey Hendrickson has been, I don't want to call him a nice surprise because he had a great year with the Saints last year, but there were some questions in terms of the quality of sacks he was getting. Was it just coverage sacks? Was it just, you know, a, a breaking away from another defender and he kind of got a cleanup sack, that sort of thing. I felt that that was nitpicky myself, but the point is, he's got eight and a half already right now. I think, and is one of the the top leaders in that category. One of the top leaders in total quarterback pressures, pressure rate. So he's playing very well for the for the Bengals for sure. Um, you know, I, it's kind of a, a trickle down effect. The Bengals are also getting improved play on the interior of the defensive line. Uh, DJ Reader is healthy this year, playing very well as a nose tackle. You've got Larry Ogunjobi, BJ Hill. Those guys are getting after the quarterback a bit as well. So. All of that is is kind of working well. Logan Wilson, you mentioned him. He has four interceptions already this year. Kind of got off to a really hot start, but like many, many other players and units on this team, it, it, the last two games have really kind of, everything's kind of fallen off a, a cliff, so to speak. So, <laughs> you know, it's, it, it's uh, they need to gain some consistency. They need to kind of get back to what they were doing well early in the season. I think the rest quite honestly, in the middle of the season, this break has will do them wonders. At least I'm, I'm hoping so they looked a little fatigued. They did have in that jets game. That was their third straight road game in a row. Um, and and it was sandwiched around. It was a Detroit game. And then there was the big win in Baltimore. And then they come back and they have to travel again to face the jets. And they lay an egg in that one, not making excuses, but kind of classic trap game there, so to speak. And then, um, you know, they, they come back and get shellacked by the Browns. So, you know, I I, I just think that they're not doing some of the basics. The tackling has been a lot more sloppy and and a couple more injuries. They're still largely healthy, but they need to just do what they were, were doing towards the beginning of the year, getting after the quarterback with more consistency and uh, shoring up the tackling for sure
0: yeah no doubt I mean I think I think today's game down in Allegiant Stadium is going to be an interesting one I think it'll be a close one Uh, what do the Bengals have to do we got about a minute left what are the Bengals uh, in your mind knowing that this this Raiders defense although it played poorly against the Chiefs has a really good pass rush up front doesn't blitz a lot it usually gets home with four guys Uh, what do you see for the Bengals to be successful today they need to do out in Vegas
2: They, there's a couple of things. I mean, there's a lot of things I can point to, I guess, from a defensive perspective, you can't let Hunter Renfro and Darren Waller beat you. Uh, You know, the Mm -hmm. Bengals are are missing a couple of cornerbacks uh, from injury, Trey Waynes being one of them. But, uh, you know, someone, whether it's Mike Hilton or whomever, is going to have to guard the slot and, and do a lot of different things to frustrate Hunter Renfro. Darren Waller is a freak, and, you know, he can be a weapon. So they're going to need to have some, some solid matchups on defense on that front. They're going to need to have answers, probably chippers – tight ends, etc. Running backs chipping into block against Max Crosby and Yannick Ngakwe, that's going to be a big one. And then I think also on offense they got to get a guy like Tyler Boyd more involved out of the slot. Mm. He's one of the best slot players in the game, and he's been a little quiet this year, which has surprised some. And with, with defenses keying on Chase now on the outside, I think it's time to start integrating Tyler Boyd a bit more and uh, kind of sustaining drives getting the balls the ball in the hands of the the chain movers so to speak tyler boyd cj uzama etc
0: there you go everything you need to know about the Bengals, uh, who are in las vegas today to play the raiders down at legion stadium anthony cosenza orange and black insider and also the cincy jungle man thanks for being with us we appreciate you giving us your insight
2: yeah a lot of fun i appreciate it scott
0: All right, there you have it. Anthony, Cosenza, Cincy Jungle, Orange and Black, Insider. I think it's going to be a close game. I think the Raiders win this game, but uh, it's going to be a close one. A lot of similarities, as he mentioned. Wow, it's kind of freaky. All right, we're going to step aside when we come back. Rossi Biddle will be my guest as we close out the show and get you ready for NFL game action here on the Sunday on The Fan in Las Vegas. You're listening to Silver and Black today, game day only here on The Fan, Las Vegas. Raider Nation is fired up. It's silver and black today, game day. Welcome back. Happy Sunday morning yet again. It is game day. The Raiders gets set to take on the Cincinnati Bengals later this afternoon down at Allegiant Stadium. This segment is one of my favorite because I every couple times, uh, a couple times a season and during the offseason, we bring on one of the guys I love the most. He's a caller. When we had a daily show, uh, he would call in all the time, and I know he still does call over on the Raiders flagship station, but also here, that is uh, my friend Rossi Biddle from Australia. He is a hardcore Raider fan and one of the most knowledgeable Raider fans, you will meet. It doesn't matter where in the world you're from. Rossi, thanks for joining us all the way down from Australia, my friend.
3: Oh, it's a pleasure. Uh, always like uh, talking about uh, the good and the bad uh, when it comes to, <laughs> to this team. Yeah, um, it seems to be a roller coaster season.
0: It does, and and it's you know that that up and down of emotion. I've always said it, and you know, covering the team objectively, trying not to be emotionally. Uh, charged by it, whether it's positively or negatively, like you guys are as such great fans in Raider Nation, uh, makes it a little easier. And I always say, hey, don't get too up, don't get too down. And I think you're pretty good about that. Uh, but this Raiders team, you know, we, we've been talking about it on the show. I just talked with Anthony Cosenza about the Bengals. The Bengals are in very similar um, condition as the Raiders are, actually, for different reasons, but still the same. They Both of these teams started out hot, and then they hit this two-game losing streak, and they're on this crash course against one another to see who's going to lose three in a row and who's going to maybe turn around the remainder of the back half of the season. But, Rossi, when you look at this this Raiders team, clearly the last two weeks you can look to the offense. Yes, the defense had a bad game against the Chiefs. Yes, Jonathan Abram had a bad game against the Chiefs. Uh, but the offense seems to have struggled. And Mo and I, earlier in the show, we talked about it. We don't agree that it's just because of Henry Ruggs. I mean, you look at Darren Waller, he's only had 60 yards more uh, or more than 60 yards once since or hasn't since week two, I should say. So there's a lot going on here. And it's not to blame one person like Derek Carr or Darren Waller. It's just for whatever reason, this offense isn't on track. You agree with that? Or what do you see?
3: Yeah, uh, you already know. Uh, my own personal feelings towards Derek Carr. Mm-hmm. The quarterback is never the problem with this team. Just over the past couple of years, it's always there's always been some some nuances. For me, where this offense is actually starting to come undone is actually just from a creativity point of view. We all got excited wow. when uh, Gruden unfortunately left under the circumstances that he, that, that he left, and we saw screen plays and we didn't see inside runs on third and one or inside the red zone. And yet we come down uh what, four weeks uh since uh, Greg Olsen has been game planning, and we're just starting to see the same same type of offense, nothing mm. as being as creative yeah and you could There's no Ro- rossi and, you, and I know you're
0: no you oh. i Rossi, I was going to say you could say that they haven't had a starting offensive line for two years
3: yeah they definitely. Paid a lot more money for people to sit on the sidelines <laughs> than actually block. Yes, um, that's uh, that's definitely for sure. And I feel that that's where everything starts. Mm. Um, I I look at Jacobs. I I'm a Jacobs fan, but right now I'm seeing a guy that didn't you know hold the load in college, and so his body. Isn't, a, isn't able to maintain um, taking 20, 25 carries a, a, a game. We look at Drake. Drake's a great change of pace. I don't understand why we come away from a run game as such as, as how it started mm-hmm. against Kansas City. I know we got behind, but you know, we've seen teams come back uh, Tennessee Titans is probably the classic example. They come back by running the ball and then um, working on the, the play action. Whatever that game plan is, I find that the past two weeks, the games against the Giants were sloppy. That was car. There was definitely some um, adversity going in uh, against the Giants off of a bye week. Um, and against the, the Chiefs, all I saw was just some really um, not very creative game planning by, by Olsen Olson to to create one on one matchups. Yeah. But for me, Walla needs to be actually out wide. Put Foster Moreau in there. Foster Moreau has shown he can play tight end in this league. Mm-hmm. Absolutely no issue with that whatsoever. So then split Waller out. Let's start making some matchups. If they want to go and double cover him, that's great. That then leaves other parts.
0: Yeah, it does. And and I think, well, and Rossi, I think you hit on an important point there. Again, we're talking to Rossi Biddle here on Silver and Black Today Game Day, um, is that this team has those weapons and so many of them, and I think this gets back to your point about the play calling, right? We saw in the week after Gruden left against Denver, we saw a little more creativity and it, it seemed like a refreshing um, uh, change of pace for this Raiders team. But then now they've kind of fallen back into, I think, Uh, former habits uh, when it comes to the play calling, and that starts with the weapons. Foster Moreau is one of them. I mean, you see how good a player Hunter Renfro is. You see how good a player uh, that Darren Waller is, and then Brian Edwards, and there just seems to be Uh, this this very quick trigger that, to your point about the Chiefs game, yes, you got behind, but I'm not talking 21 points behind. I'm talking seven points behind or 10 points behind where you suddenly, they abandon the run very quickly and then you just get to be very predictable.
3: Yeah, the 2nd and 9s, 2nd and and 11s, absolutely. And what the Chiefs did was literally go anybody but Waller. They yeah, they, they right. covered Waller all day long. Um, there was some opportunities uh, looking back at the film um, this week, which has been hard,
0: <laughs> uh, but
3: looking back at the film, there, there have been opportunities. One of um, DC's throws in the second series, uh, he went to Zay Jones when Waller was open, uh, just in front of him on the third down part. Um, there, there's... Definitely some, some opportunities um, to, to get Waller into the game. Yeah. And the the Chiefs weren't – they weren't scared of, of even Deshaun Jackson. Um, well, they weren't scared of Edwards, even though he had three great catches. They weren't scared of Renfro because it's a check down for, for Derek. Right. It's four yards. Great, not a problem. If, if, if you've got a receiver going four yards and then catching the ball, the defense will take that all day long. Of course
0: because they at will. At some point, right.
3: they're going to stop that. Yeah. Um, and so, because that Chief D wasn't particularly scared of anybody else other than Waller, and they doubled and triple teamed him, but they also brought a lot of pressure through that line. And this goes back to my initial part, which is there's one thing for, for, for Derek to, to stand in the pocket here. Yeah. Yeah, you know, we know he's got a little bit of happy feet when it happens. Um, back from uh, a couple of years ago with the injury, and, but he needs to trust his line. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, he needs to trust his receivers to get open, and then lastly, he actually just needs to trust himself. And sometimes I feel that he doesn't trust himself. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I feel that sometimes he. He just wants to just run off and try and make a play and yet still um throw it out of bounds instead of trusting himself just for a couple more seconds.
0: Yeah. Just for
3: getting to the sideline and throwing a zip.
0: Them. Yeah, and, and that's been the troubling thing for me with Carr. And you know how I felt about Carr. I've, I've, I've always uh, said that he's a very good quarterback. I've never been a negative Carr person or uh, said that the Raiders should get rid of him because I didn't believe that. Uh, at the same time, I thought, I thought the Giants game was not a good game for him, but yet they were still in position to win it, which tells you a lot. And I thought the Chiefs game, he did fine. He didn't do great, but I I did see exactly what you're talking about, which is the tentativeness sometimes. And and I think that he's got to get back to that because how Derek Carr goes, I think this team goes. He doesn't lose games for them certainly. But I think that with his leadership and especially what the amazing job he did leading the team off the field through all of this tumult, um, for me, if he can do that, he can lead this team to where they need to go. Now, Rossi, they start today with the Bengals to try to turn things around a Bengals team. that, Like I said, coming off a two game losing streak, coming off the same sort of problems that the Raiders have had. Uh, and, and I'm wondering what you think about, uh, today's game in Las Vegas with the Bengals, uh, what do the Raiders have to do? I mean, we know we just talked about offensively. I think defensively, the Raiders just had a bad game against the Chiefs. I think they'll bounce back. Um, but how important? I mean, is this the game where you got to win it, or things might spiral out of control again?
3: I think it is because if you look at what's uh, coming up, um, we've still got a, 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 I don't know obviously Thanksgiving against Dallas, and most people um, will probably put us as uh, as, as underdogs for, sure. for that game. But I think that if I said to you before the start of the season, and I, I, I know what record you expected out of this team. It was a 9-7, um, t- sorry, 9-8,
0: and 9-10. Yeah.
3: If I if I said to you that we were 5-4 after nine games, you would have taken it. Yep. You would have absolutely gone, if we've only lost four games with the start against, the Ravens with the Steelers, who we always have trouble with, and we've still got the Chiefs, and we've still got the Chargers, and all of this in, in, in that little pocket of nine games. You go, yeah, absolutely. Take five and four all day long. The problem, though, is the optics over these past two games. Yes, it's the ill-disciplined that seems to have come back into the game mm-hmm. a little bit, uh, into a little bit, from us. That might be the guy missing on the sideline um, who did want to to play on the edge but controlled aggression. Um, But there's certainly been something over these past couple of weeks where the optics just haven't been great for Silver and Black. So, now you just put that line in. Now you just go, right, we're all professional footballers. Our record is what it says we are. Okay? So, now we've got the Cincinnati Bengals. Max Crosby this was your breakout game two years ago. You had four sacks. I know mean, it was on Ryan Finley, but it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. You had four sacks. Control the ball. How do we want to play offense? They've got Joe Burrow. They've got uh, Chase. They've got explosiveness around the ball. So best way to stop their offense is for our offense to be on the field at all times, uh, for certainly the majority of the game. So that then means... Uh, sorry, um, Jacobs has to run hard. Yeah, that means that Duret has to be used in the right way, and Mariota needs to be in that team as well. Agree. Mar- there needs to be a Mariota package. Yeah, and not just one or two to run for a first down. I mean, an actual package of plays for Marcus Mariota to get in there, but let's use him as an actual player in, in the in the next one. I think that this team goes out and puts on a performance this afternoon. I really do. Yeah, I've I, got and I'm that, I'm that, I'm
0: that Yeah, I'm I'm with you Rossi and I know we got about a minute left so um I appreciate you certainly joining us today and I agree with you. I think I, I Look, I, I was hard on the team earlier in the show just because I. Th- I my point is you got to put up and, and shut up. I mean, you can say you're a better team, but unless you'd show it on the field, it doesn't matter. So I think they're going to do that, and I think they'll do it today against the Bengals. And so uh, I agree with you. See, I know we'll have you on again, man. We, we we get talking, and it goes by so quickly, but I want to thank you for joining us all the way down from Australia. Oh, we, we, we lost rossy there uh but anyway it was great to talk to him great to talk to all of you we appreciate you being here on your pregame show silver
1: and black today game day for everyone here at odyssey take care everybody